to the Forking Wellness Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, we just wanted to let you know that we are sponsored by Chickpea Food. That's C-H-I-C-P Food, an incredible hummus company. Yeah, they really are delicious and they are aiming to go local and promote ethical veganism by using suppliers as close to them as possible. So farmers in the UK, etc. for chickpeas. And they started on a mission to raise awareness around food waste and they have all these delicious flavours. I think that's amazing. We are getting delicious hummus sourced locally, ethically and using surplus vegetables. Love it. Yeah. So what's your favourite way to enjoy hummus? At the moment, I just am loving just putting a big dollop of hummus into the center of my salad or Buddha ball just to add some delicious flavor and texture variety. Love that. And what I, about you? I love um, dipping my sweet potato fries in it. I just think it's such a good combo. It is. You do love sweet potato fries and hummus, yeah. don't you? <laughs> Um, yeah, so you can find chickpea at Cardo, Whole Foods, Planet Organic, and independent chains up and down the country. Amazing. I'm looking forward to getting my chickpea hummus for my next avocado order. And very fitting, as today's episode is with a sustainable dietitian talking about how to reduce our like impact on the environment. Yeah, let's get into it. Hi guys, welcome back to our Forking Wellness podcast. My name is Sophie Bertram, Registered Associate Nutritionist. And I'm Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian, and we are here with the Sustainable Dietitian, Louise Symington. Hello. Hi, we are so excited to have you on and we've had so many requests for this topic, so hopefully it's going to be a really super helpful episode. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Um, It's going to be really good fun, I'm sure. So yeah, interested to hear what all your listeners have in mind. Yeah, so before we jump in, we'd love to know how you kind of got into this area of nutrition. Um, yeah, it's it's quite uh, long-winded and convoluted, really. But I suppose, in a nutshell, um, I started off as a clinical dietitian and I worked in the NHS. But um, I was always really interested in the ethical side of food as well and, and food production because... Being a sort of a teenager of the 90s, there was this huge scandal and it was basically um, the BSE crisis. And ultimately it was where um, the, our food chain had become exposed in so much as livestock, particularly cattle, were fed um, uh, bits of meat that had spinal cord in. And that created um, this, this BSE, which eventually caused mad cow disease in, 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 in animals and humans. And um, it was a real eye-opener for me because I used to see the food industry through rose-tinted glasses. And um, after discovering that, I was thinking, well, you know, what, how on earth can we, how on earth could I help change the food system and I think when you're on your own it feels quite overwhelming so I looked for other things that could help me explore that so I looked at the environmental side of food and the ethical side of food um, and then found a course in food sustainability and that sort of led me down the path to where I am now so um, yeah it's been a really interesting journey but I ultimately had to make the leap from, from being a clinical dietitian to someone that did um, sort of project and campaigning work in, in, in environmental charities and things like that which has been really fun and interesting. Yeah it sounds so interesting. I think it's a really interesting like part of nutrition dietetics that people don't really know about. So what did your day-to-day look like as a sustainable dietitian? Yeah, so uh, I do do get lots of people asking me, like, how do you you be a dietitian working in sustainability? And it's a really, um, it's an interesting one because it's, it's, as far as I'm aware, you don't get 
positions where you go, right, we want to dive specialist dietitian in sustainability. I found I've had to carve out a lot of this work through, I suppose, my own initiative. And especially when I did my food sustainability 10 years ago, a lot of it was actually about getting my foot in the door and raising awareness before we could actually make any changes. I think now it is potentially a lot easier because we've got the British Dietetic Association's One Blue Dot, which is all about environmental sustainability, and it's really high on people's agenda. Um, but I suppose um, in my day-to-day -day practice as a sustainable dietitian, I do one-to-one, -one, so I do get a lot of vegans and plant-based, people wanting to move to a plant-based diet. Uh, but I also get um, inquiries from food companies that might want me to do some food consultancy work. So some things for, say, corn or good hemp, people like that. Um, I'm also writing modules for culinary medicine on sustainable food. So I get quite a lot of inquiries for quite ad hoc things. But one of my passions is actually working for my community allotment. And again, I sort of slipped into this, uh, a really fun but interesting project where I do nature and food growing for preschool children and their parents. And I moved into this project, it was already funded, but then I learned how to fundraise and then write funding bids to then get money to run my own projects there. So I do quite practical stuff, but I also do quite, I suppose, food industry stuff, academic stuff, one-to-one stuff. Um, and I try and kind of keep it within my niche as well. But I also do corporate wellness. I also run corporate wellness programs because I'm British Statistics. I've done the Work Ready program. And that also integrates um, sustainability work, perhaps into their catering or within people's food habits. So even if you're not trained in sustainability, you can still bring it in to your day-to-day -day practice now. Sounds amazing. Yeah. It sounds like you've taken like a passion and you really, like you said before, carved out your own niche and kind of made this budding yeah. career out of it. And I think that's one of the great things about nutrition dietetics is there's so many avenues you could take with it. Um, yes. Really allows you to make the whole experience quite personal. And I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think what's really nice about nutrition and dietetics these days is that um, <clears throat> when I was training in the 90s, it was uh, environmental and ethical issues were seen as a political hot topic. They weren't things that the British Dietetic Association or any nutritionists really wanted to handle. It was no, it was always that people first, people first. And what I love um, now is that it's people and the planet and that we are just one, yeah, we're one, you know, we are one world. Um, we eat food, we've got to respect it. We're running out of food, you know, and, actually the way we grow food and produce food does affect our health as well. So it's, it's a two way relationship. It's a, it's a multiple way relationship. And, and I love that. I love the fact that it's really high on the agenda at the moment. Yeah. Amazing. So what, how would you define eating sustainably? I know that's quite a big question, but. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. And again, this is where um, sometimes you have to, I have to untangle my views from what, what, what's written in the, the, the uh, nutritional literature or scientific literature um, so the scientific literature in terms of eating sustainably would talk about having a diet that is, is, is ethical ethically sensitive and I can talk about that and uh, an environment and, and has a low environmental um, impact in other words the foods that you eat doesn't drain a lot of the earth's earth resources and it doesn't emit lots of greenhouse gases or greenhouse gas emissions. And so that tends to be 
um, lower in things like um, animal and dairy products and higher in the plant-based products. So that's, that's generally what a sustainable diet is. Um, and I, I like to take into account ethical factors for me. So for me, um, personally, and I don't mind saying that I do eat a little bit of meat and dairy now and again, but I think in the UK, we do have some strong farming practices which are organic or um, do have high animal welfare standards and um, I believe that if you do choose to eat that then you can put your stamp on it and support those farmers because they will go out of business in the event of Brexit if we don't put our money where our mouth is so um, I think the ethics is quite an important side of things as well and, and that might mean looking down the supply chain at not just the animals but also the people that might be involved in the production of food um, and in gl the global production of food so things like especially things like nuts and avocados and quinoa yeah. we have to even if they're vegan we do need to think about the ethical impact on consuming lots of these foods yeah, yeah. as well later in the episode there's so much we want to get through but um i would love to talk about like the sustainable debate of quinoa <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> but um we have tons of questions yeah. that we need to get down but i think yeah. it's really interesting that you just don't take into account like um the impact on the environment but also who's there supporting that yeah. so the workers and you know it's that bigger picture again so would you say that a vegan diet is the best diet in terms of being sustainable it's it's based on dietary modeling it shows it has the lowest environmental impact. Yeah. And I think we, I, I, I've, this is the thing that I've worked with food industries is, is you've got to be really careful with your language. You can't say your vegan product is good for the planet because everything that we consume, especially in the global North, we're going to have a detrimental impact. There are things that you can lower it, but unless you're involved in some kind of biodynamic mixed arable farming with regenerative grazing and all of that kind of stuff, you're not putting positive stuff back into the environment. Um, so yes, so vegan diets have a really low environmental impact, about uh, uh, six or seven times lower than a high meat eater. Wow. So you've got, your meat eaters have got um, very, very high environmental impact. And then if you've got a low meat intake, so about 50 grams a day, you've got mid-environmental impact, and then vegans got the lowest if you've got the three rungs. Um, but that's just in the environmental side of things, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like it's quite a range in the spectrum of like having a high yeah. to low, like you can vary quite drastically, like where you fall. Right. You can, by reducing your meat and dairy consumption, you can ha still have a really significant impact on lowering, lowering your environmental impact. And in fact, there was, I mean, this study's been stated loads and loads and loads, but um, the Carbon Trust did a really interesting analysis of the Eat Well plate. And um, if, we, if we ate in line with the Eat Well plate and had all, you know, five plus fruit and vegetables a day and your carbohydrates and your little bits of protein, we would actually lower our greenhouse emissions significantly but the problem is we don't eat the eat well plate we, we've got really high um, meat and dairy and it's not in line with it and that's that's one of the problems so you know if we if we followed the the guidelines we'd be already be helping the people planet as it is yeah so would you say that meat or dairy one has more of an impact than the other so say yeah cut out one or the other what could they benefit more from reducing the, in terms of environmental greenhouse gas emissions, it would be uh, meat, especially ruminant meat, so red meats, beef and lamb. That that is by far the highest um, uh, problematic um, yeah, food for the environment. 
it is extremely contentious and i think especially in the uk like the, as i said the farmers are like come on some of us farmers we can do positive things for the environment there's this thing called carbon sequestration which is basically where i kind of call it cows knitting carbon back into the grass and yeah. um, but even if they do chew it back in and uh, it, they, they are still quite big emitters the other thing that's also um, debated now is that the greenhouse gases methane that's emitted from cows it doesn't behave in the same way as say the, the carbon dioxide from cars and things like that and 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 the whole sort of science behind greenhouse gas emissions from from um, animals it, it, that that's contested as well and that's why you hear so many arguments but on the whole on a global level it's red meat yeah so we do well to reduce red meat intake yes yeah and i'm very i mean dairy's not far behind um actually um it's cheese is particularly uh, carbon intensive oh, yeah but also as well um soft drinks industry so things like fruit juice apple juice that kind of thing if you think about an apple or an orange you they're kind of just like all the juices are squeezed out, the good bits are left behind, they're shipped all around the country, cartons associated with it, you know, it, it, we should just eat our fruit and veg, we shouldn't have it in all the... I, yeah, I can see you're laughing. <laughs> I always forget the statistic, but is it like eight, or maybe it's four, I could just be making this up, but like oranges go into making a glass of orange juice. Oh yeah, it's really the waste hard. that's produced from, you know, just like a handful of oranges just to get a little bit of orange juice is a lot. And I feel like, cause people think, Oh, it's fruit. Oh, it's vegan. Like you said before, they don't necessarily associate that with being, you know, having an impact on the environment. Cause like people yeah. are going to think like, Oh, the meat industry and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think that's great that you mentioned it because I don't think many people would connect those dots. Yeah. And it is, for me, it's kind of like thinking about the food and, and like, it's kind of really wasteful if you think about it because that could have been kept in its say orange skin yeah. um, you know that that juice then has to be stored it has to be chilled it has to be moved around the country and um, what happens with all that leftover waste like I know the food industry is trying to use that pineapple skins for clothing and stuff like that but that all ends up potentially going to landfill yeah. so it's, it's wow it's, it's, we don't need it we don't need all this excess sugar as well so that's a you know if you don't want to give up meat and dairy but you want to do something useful give up your excess sugar in all the sweets and crisps and little booze and all that kind of stuff and juice smoothies sorry smoothie yeah. companies <laughs> asked how sustainable wine is so i thought i'd just bring that oh, up <laughs> well uh, it's a really interesting one because actually if you're having a wine um, where grapes are sun ripened and they're not using greenhouses and not using artificial light and energy then actually there'll be relatively low environmental in impact from the actual fruit the environmental impact would come from not necessarily the production of wine but the important imports of heavy wine bottles over here and the end of life with the glass however you can get some british wines so British wines will be much better. You can get organic wines, um, so much better for the environment, and biodynamic wines as well. So, um, yeah, there are some um, good wines that you could have out there. So to your local uh, vineyard. One of the positive things, well, that's one of the things that's coming out of climate change, isn't it? It's, we've got the sunnier climates, um, yeah. so we're producing all sorts of wines that we, and sparkling wines that we never thought we would before.
yeah definitely so is organic much better for the environment in terms of buying your food and your wine organically um i would argue yes Mm -hmm. people would argue no my argument is that we are facing apocalyptic you know um you know like levels of um extinction from 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 insects and and plants and things like that and when we farm conventionally we're throwing all these insecticides and herbicides out that's killing off the biodiversity so anything that minimizes that mitigates that is is positive um and i i think there are sometimes there's always a counter argument and maybe some some scientists or agro scientists would say well what about um, livestock if they're grown in an organic way or, or we follow those principles the livestock are going to be around for much longer they're going to eat more using more resources and they're going to emit more methane so so but on the whole i would say organic is better for the environment before that sometimes you do eat like a small amount of dairy or animal products do you always opt for organic like on a personal basis personally absolutely 100 percent, i do um because what i find interesting is that although organic might just seem as more expensive if you're trying to reduce the amounts in line with what we recommend then you can kind of offset it a bit so and i don't know maybe it's psychological but i do i do think there's a taste difference as as well as well and and i i think at the end of the day animals that they're they're physical things like human beings if you you know if you i would say think you know if you're a giant and you've got a choice between eating people that are sort of sitting around eating mcdonald's watching tv and a bit like Mm. or you've got you know your chunky muscular athlete you're who eats a good diet you want to want to go for them because you are what you eat so um i know lab tests say there aren't that much differences between organic and non-organic meats but personally i want to eat an animal that's eating a good diet that's run around it's got good muscle structure organic vegetables does that (laughs) again if you can afford organic go for it um in our family we do eat a lot of vegetables um so i don't always buy organic all the time it always depends on what i can afford um but yeah if you can afford organic vegetables great again i'm again with the pesticide thing um the pesticide residues in conventional fruit and vegetables are extremely low it's the cocktail effect over a long period of time that that many scientists are worried about we we don't know about that so what i'd say if you can't buy organic is just make sure you really thoroughly wash the skins of all your vegetables peel them if you want to and also as well i think the pesticide action network have what we call the clean 15 in the dirty dozen and there is i i don't know if you've heard of these before yeah so um generally if it's got a hard skin or got a shell around it you might be all right so um but things like sort of raspberries and, and soft fruits that might be sensitive to pesticides that you might want to go for organic ones with them but I think the public health message is in terms of health is just getting it to five or more is more important than worrying about whether it's organic or not at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So what about sustainable fish? That's kind of the last food group that we need to touch on. Yeah. Uh, market, you can sometimes find responsibly sourced. Is that best to buy with that label? Yeah. Oh, I, I find fish the hardest one 
to navigate not not in terms of the advice but actually putting it into practice on a daily basis because it people's where people buy it from can vary a lot and supermarkets version of responsibly sourced it's very loose and how can you really trust them i mean well so let's talk about farmed fish uh we know farmed fish can have really detrimental impacts on the environment you've got all these fish crammed into these pens there's lots of poo there's lots of chemicals um so there are some farms that that follow the aquaculture mark so if you can find fish that that have got certified aquaculture mark you know they're sustainable but there's only one or two in the whole of the uk so that that's quite a hard one um and so therefore you then have to trust your supermarkets or your fishmongers responsibly sourced policy then for fish caught out at sea, there are certification schemes. So the Marine Stewardship Council is a reliable one, fairly reliable one. It does have some criticisms, but go with that. And so look out for the MSC mark. It's like a little blue dot with a little tick on it. Um, But the other thing that I could say to people as well is that um, what you can do is try to eat away from the top five. So similar to our grains and other foods that, that we we're creatures of habit so we always have cod we always have um haddock i think it's prawns tuna and salmon and okay you might be able to get sustainable sources of them but what happens is if we keep eating the same fish we do eventually put pressures on the farms at the farms so they keep producing these the same fish and we keep putting re-challenging the stocks of those natural fish if they're the sea caught fish so try and diversify the type of fish that you have maybe some fish that are smaller and down the food chain that's a really good um, tip and i i fall victim to that like i eat so much salmon prawns cod just because i love them and that's something that me and my boyfriend both like so it's like really nice for him to get yeah. some diet but you know i need to get out of my comfort zone maybe go for some shellfish or i really love monkfish or things like that yeah, yeah. and fish smaller down the food chain as well quite they tend to be quite good as well um and and i i it's, it's, that's one of the f- tricky ones with being a dietitian because and this is a dilemma that i'll, I'll face if if you're trying to help someone or support someone to eat fish and they're like oh, God, oh, i don't like it and then and then uh, oh well i eat cod and you're like oh, will they will i buy the msc cod or can i try and get them to have another white fish like gurnard would that be a step too far so um this is the dance that i find you have to do when it comes to trying to get people to eat healthily and sustainably it's yeah yeah. we're going to ask kind of how would you handle it if you kind of had a client come to you and they were you know eating a lot of fish a lot of meat a lot of dairy products would you see Mm. to kind of try and reduce that for them yeah absolutely um i think i think language is really important so again talking about rather than oh you've got to cut out your meat you've got to cut out your fish it is becoming more plant focused you know and sort of increasing your beans peas legumes all those wonderful sort of um plant-based proteins so trying to increase them um and and then and then sort of gently as a sort of a consequence that the meat and the, the, the fish and dairy sort of coming down and and like with any form of dietetics it's, it's one step at a time so i would never sort of jump into the ethics of sustainable food at the beginning it would be just really just getting those basics sorted out and then once hopefully the meat and the fish and all the other things have sort of trickled down then you might want to explore again one food group at a time what do you think about this can you afford this have you thought about this that kind of thing 
Yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk about the sustainable the sustainability of plant based milks. There's so many different ones available. Yes. And oh, there are billions. Yeah. So many. And I mean, is one superior to the other? I know it's kind of aside from the fortification of the milk. Yeah. In terms of you know the sustainability of them, do you have any yeah. words of wisdom? Yeah. yeah, well, I, I kind of go by the process of elimination. <laughs> so for me, um, almond milks tend to be out because we all know about almonds being very very water thirsty in places like California. So that that's kind of a. Um, then the other ones, I'm a little bit worried about cashews and cashew nuts because. Um, there have been reports of uh, people working in the cashew nut industry in, in other countries and you know to get the, the shell off the cashew nut they have to work with acid and that burns their fingers and they're not they can't afford the gloves to protect their hands against uh, against that so I've kind of gone off cashew nuts now um, and then what else is this? coconut again I'm like oh yeah but you know they send monkeys up trees to get the coconuts and humans what about the welfare of the people working in the coconut plantations so sometimes it's <laughs> sometimes it's just like oh what do I do hazelnuts I mean oh, hazelnuts could be a good one um there's hemp milk now I know hemp is is, is is supposed to be very good at breathing in co2 but the, the the hemp major hemp um producing the major hemp companies over here import it from China so again it's all right uh I've actually really been interested in the pea milks that have come out yeah, they're supposed to be a really good source of protein, quite, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be, although the peas aren't what I thought would be the British peas, they're, they're kind of like the split peas from sort of Asian countries and things like that. So unless we can go beyond what they say on the website, we don't really know. Um, but ultimately, I'll probably say, yeah, the, the oat and the pea and the hazelnut are probably, probably the best ones at the moment. You didn't mention soy. I was just going to ask that. That's what yeah. I. Yeah, yeah. Soy is a funny one. Um, yes, we we do worry about Brazil and the soya plantations. But the argument for soya milk is that at least it's going straight to our mouths and it's not being turned into soya feed for animals. So sitting on the fence a little bit with with, with soya. I think with um, with food and with plant based foods, I think it's about diversity. So not just having soya all the time, but just get, maybe trying all these different ones that are out there, you know, the tiger nut and the rice milk, actually. Rice of all the grains is, is probably one of the least environmentally friendly grains um, because of the association with I think it's nitrous oxide and all the toxic gases that come from flooding the paddy fields so rice mills out as well that was fascinating all that information <laughs> yeah I, I it's difficult i don't really want i don't want to be negative because i really know that plant milks are making an effort um and i do appreciate that but at the same time you know a lot of them do come over as being extremely innocent and being really good for the planet and just have to kind of dance around some of them yeah Yeah, no definitely that was yeah I'm really glad I asked that question Um, (laughs) and give one actionable step that everyone could maybe take in attempt to help out the environment a little bit more through their diet what what would that be yeah well it would be if you are someone that eats meat every day twice a day to at least cut it by half if not go down to a couple of two to three portions of meat a week 
I know um, the recommendations sort of, sort of by the World Cancer Research Fund sort of say having about 80 grams max a day, but I don't find that a very helpful guideline. I, I don't want people weighing out their meat. So I'd say, yeah, two or three times a week um, is fine for any kind of meat, poultry, any vegetarians as well, maybe reducing your cheese, having more sort of pulsy things. And if you're vegan, actually, it, it probably would next thing would be cutting out the fruit juices and smoothies and things like that. So it really depends on what stage of the spectrum of sustainable eating you are, really. Yeah, so interesting. Because um, even just those small changes can have a big impact, can't they? I mean, if everyone made an effort to maybe, you know, just eat meat two or three times a week, that yeah. would impact. It would be really good. And, and also as well, um, have it, choosing really, really good sources of meat. Um, and if you do choose to eat meat... Um, boating with your feet and going for uh, going for meat that's come from really good um farming production yeah. methods so certified organic or pasture fed um anything that that potentially could support the environment while whilst raising livestock is is really important um because the worry with i mean i'm not um you know i'm not an economist but the worry with brexit and the potential trade deals with america is that we could get flooded with cheap meat that isn't produced in the same way as, as, as over here and the farmers can get undercut and they may go out of business and we might not have that choice. So if you do choose to eat meat, that's, that's what I'd say. Go for some good sources. <laughs> Things that we can maybe like reduce. Um, but is there anything like outside of food that we can be doing to kind of help, you know, sustainability and the environment? So I think that was a really generic question. So let me try and reword that. Like when it comes to what I had in mind was more like plastics. Like um, when we go to the supermarket, things are, everything is in plastic. Is there anything that we can do to kind of help in that regard to sustainability? Yeah. um, I, one of the things I think is quite helpful is to kind of almost second guess yourself and like when you go out for the day and you've got your day bag is yes okay you've got your your cup but also um having always having your bees or vegan wax wraps with you always having all your um your your carrier bag i i sometimes go out and i think oh i'm not gonna buy food or i I, i'll go home for lunch and then i get carried away next thing you know you've got some kind of plastic nightmare of sandwich wrapping so always just to have almost like a little kit that you keep on you so you can bring it out for any time that you might buy food so you won't need to rely on plastic um i think uh certainly you you know even if you just go to the green grocers you're cutting down on plastics or your farmers markets or things like that the supermarket plastic debate is a really interesting one because um, I did research this a bit and many supermarkets did go, particularly the co-op tried to go plastic free and then the customers complained because all their fruit and vegetables exposed and they didn't want it, they wanted it in plastic again so people didn't touch them. So the conversations I've had with supermarkets is that, well, you say you want it, but actually when it comes to it, you don't. Um, so that's quite difficult. Um, and also as well, I think if you can find um, shops that do refills, that's a really good thing as well. We're quite lucky. I live in Brighton and Hove. Quite a few of the health food shops are doing refills for cosmetics, shampoos, washing up liquids, wow. and all that kind of stuff. So if you can find something like that, that's really good. Yeah. But if you've got a garden, 
the, the one of the most important things you can do is when you think about what you want to put in your garden is have pollinating flowers because it's, it's, it's so frightening um, what's having to, happening to the bee population and the, a really fundamental thing is getting the bees back in the world worried about it and I worry about it all the time <laughs> worrying yeah get a winter Poll- you need pollinating flowers um and you know try to if you're lucky to have a garden make sure that you've got sort of little sheltered areas for the bees to hide from the extreme yeah. winds um bird feeders try and encourage local birds into your garden you know anything to get the natural biodiversity back in your garden is is a wonderful thing um it, i used to live in a flat so it was i found it really hard even to do things like composting and stuff like that but it's potentially you could find a community composting scheme or i don't know support your local charities so i live in a flat um and there's yeah i feel like it's a bit limited on what i can do so do you have any like actionable recommendations for things that i can do without having a garden uh yeah uh, yeah I suppose yeah it, when it comes to sort of recycling stuff it is really really hard and as I said with the composting um <clears throat> you'd, you'd probably have to find a community composting scheme but if you're really really motivated you could find a green gym or you could do I don't know some vol- voluntary work I mean that's how I got involved in running my nature and food growing groups at the community allotment I was just a volunteer there um, I was just really interested in in, in, in all, everything that was going on there. So um, there, are all, there are sorts of things that you can do outside of your flat. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Just about, I guess, yeah. educating yourself and what you can do and what fits in with your lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we've gone through all the questions. Mm-hmm. I've oh, obviously. So coming to the end now but uh, we always ask our guests what their peak and pitch of the wellness industry is so kind of what they love about the wellness industry and what they hate about the wellness industry so I'll give you a few minutes to think you little bit caught off guard <laughs> nothing <laughs> oh no yeah so what's your peak of the wellness industry I would say all the really exciting recipes that are coming out, all the inventive ways to cook with vegetables. I mean, who thought pulses could be exciting? But um, things like that and and then, you know, the whole sort of culinary medicine thing, um, making it look pretty. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Great Mm. answer. (laughs) And then what would your pit be? So kind of the thing that annoys you the most and... I think there's a lot of, that annoys us, which is why our podcast is called Porking Wellness, because yeah. <laughs> a lot of things can just be like under the guise of wellness. Well, I, I mean, I'm fairly new to Instagram. I've been there sort of a year or two. And all that fake sort of, oh, um, pretending that you just happen to take this product when you're actually being paid for it and it being an advert, I just think that's ridiculous. Go yeah. away. <laughs> I like open and transparency. Yeah. So, well, I yeah. think bringing quite strict guidelines now, you need to be very obvious when you are being paid for something. So I think those guidelines mm. are really helpful. But yeah. yeah, good. That's good. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I have found this so fascinating, and I've learned a ton. Yes, same. Oh, um, and where can people find you? Yep, so my website is www.sustainabledietitian with a T. 
sustainabledietitian.co.uk and I'm on Instagram so it's at sustainable dietitian perfect well we'll link those in the show notes as well so everyone can check out louise's page but yeah thank you so much oh well thank you for having me it's been a really nice interesting chat it's yeah, good to meet you both as well definitely. thanks louise bye All the best.